Hello, and welcome to episode number 365 of the Armin Show podcast, where we're learning more science. People, creativity is expanding, long live growth, and continuous effort consistency. On this one here, we have a wonderful guest who was a co author of a past guest on a paper, which is quite cool. We have Professor Ubel Caesar of Cornell University. Ubel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Armin. And Bob, congrats. This is the 365. This is the one year yes. mark. It is Happy super cool. <laughs> hey, what can we say? This show is across all the days. Somebody could watch every single day for a whole year, a different episode each day. I was thinking about that earlier, which is kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. Long live consistency. You can only get there if you go from, you know, number five, number 12, whatever you want. That's cool. Right. Now, you're assistant professor of organizational behavior at Cornell. Can you take us to through your path? To getting there, what led to you being there at that moment? Sure, absolutely. Should I start from the very beginning? I always want to share. Beginning, when you were one year old, what were you thinking? <laughs> what was the long-term plan at one year old? <laughs> sure. Well, in a nutshell, I'm originally from Istanbul, and I went to an American high school in Istanbul, and then uh, I came to United States for uh, college. So I lived all my adult life in the U.S. I've been here for 16 years now. Uh, I studied math at Harvard, so I was a mathematician back in the day, but then I really fell in love with experiments because I took a class on experiments. Uh, and then I decided to get a PhD in organizational behavior, and for that I was also at Harvard. Uh, and then um, now I'm, I'm here at Cornell University, uh, and, and that's kind of the uh, journey, but uh, my fascination with impression management and uh, why do we make mistakes in, in social interactions uh, has also started when I was a grad student and it's been a, it's been going on uh, since then but I, I really I really love studying how people make decisions uh, why do people do the weird things that they do <laughs> people's decision making impression management the way we represent ourselves to people who are out there yeah yeah, I call it impression mismanagement, though, because most of uh, most of what we know about impression management, of course, focused on what works, you know, what leads us to be liked more or respected more, and things like that. Uh, I focus more on the behaviors that are very common, uh, almost universal, uh, and our intuition tells us these are uh, productive behaviors. But I actually show my research they are not that productive. So that's why I call it impression mismanagement. But yes, <laughs> the overall title could be impression management as well. That's fair. All right. Now, let's focus on that actually first, because we make mistakes when we want to impress others. We're looking to impress others. Is it related to status? What are we looking to get out of it in the first place? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And usually the the mistakes that we make stem from different reasons, uh, depending on the context. Like you said, status is a big factor, right? Because, uh, and, you know, for, for all those uh, science enthusiasts out there, I'm sure they have heard of this. When we first meet with someone, we care about two universal dimensions, fundamental dimensions, which is warmth and competence. So we care about whether we like someone, we want to hang out with them, want to go to happy hour with them, and whether they are intelligent, smart, capable individuals. So these are the two dimensions. 
Yet, getting the two of them at the same time is quite tricky because there's usually a trade-off between these two dimensions and also uh, being liked and being respected. So, signaling how warm you are, how trustworthy, how nice you are versus how competent you are, these entail different strategies. Uh, therefore, you know, if you want to be likable and signal your status at the same time, uh, that's not a very uh, easy path, right? There's a there's some trade-off there. There's some uh, trickiness there. So that's one reason. If you want to signal both of them at the same time and we take a shortcut, uh, then we may fail. But there are sometimes other reasons. Sometimes uh, it's not about uh, this issue. Sometimes it's about you know saying the things that do saying the thing that we want to say just makes us feel good, or we think it's going to make the other person feel good, but then we say the wrong thing. So what I'm trying to tell here is that sometimes these mistakes happen because of our audience and how we try to navigate our interpersonal perception. But sometimes it happens because it makes us feel good or we think it's going to make the other side feel good. So sometimes it's just this emotional intrapsychic reason. So there are multiple reasons why we fall prey to these mistakes. And I can also give examples. I know right now I'm just <laughs> giving some paragraph uh, explanations, but I can also give some examples of each of these behaviors. One thing that comes to mind there is as far as status, is it enough to make a person joyful throughout the day if they feel that they're at this level on the hierarchy? Can that like power a person through the day? Is it a self-esteem building factor or is it kind of an external item? Oh, I guess that would be an external item for my research, let's say. No, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily look at uh, how the place that people are placed in the hierarchy influences their well-being throughout the day. Uh, but, I mean, we know from literature that uh, status is a, is a thing that we all pursue. It's, it's something to care about. Why? Because it's how you're perceiving the eyes of the others. And most of the time, status and power are correlated too. So it also gives you access to resources and you, know, you can control lots of resources. So I'm, I'm, I assume uh, there, there should be, uh, there would be some, some uh, boost effects of that. But you know, it's a question whether throughout the month it influences you because we also adapt to our circumstances very quickly. Plus these uh, high titles, positions can come with stress. So these are all great research questions quite outs outside of uh, scope of my research for now, but uh, absolutely fascinating. You know, I, I've been thinking about those things a lot as well. Can you bring up some of those examples related to what you were yeah, bringing up Yeah, what I, what I was saying. So, you know, I was talking about this uh, idea of trying to achieve warmth and confidence at the same time. So uh, one thing that people do to signal this is uh, this behavior of humble bragging. Uh, which was very uh, famous on social media at some point of time. I think it's still it's still very famous. I'm not sure if we still call out call out on each other <laughs> when we hear a humble brag. Um, but if I say something like, um, "My goodness, it's so uh, confusing why uh, why I got job offers from both Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley," you know, I, I can't I can't even choose. Or I got into both. Uh, Yale and Oxford, I don't know which one to go to. Yeah. Such a hard life. That's the... <laughs> what a difficulty there. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the idea. And, and it comes up in job interviews when people, ask, when people are asked, what's your biggest weakness? 
when they answer, I'm such a perfectionist. I work too hard. I prioritize my family. I'm too nice. Things like that. Like when they list their strengths as a weakness or when people try to combine their drag, something great about themselves, like getting into Yale and Oxford at the same time, uh, or, you know, getting job offers from Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley at the same time. But when they sort of put a mask on it by either uh, complaining or false humility, uh, that's when they try to do both things, right? I'm trying to achieve best of both worlds. I'm telling you that I'm very smart, talented, capable because I've achieved this thing, but I'm also telling you, oh, but it's so hard. Like, have some sympathy for me. Or, you know, I'm trying to be humble about it. Uh, and what we found in our research is that it's actually worse than straightforward bragging uh, because it's so insincere. So basically, when you try to get the best of both worlds, it seemingly allows you to get there, but it actually fails on both dimensions. So it makes you less likable. It makes you also look less competent to others. Uh, even though people think when they're in the position of self-presenter, people think humble bragging would be more effective than just bragging. So just saying something like, yay, I got into Yale and Oxford. Or just even complaining, just saying, oh, it's so hard to, to be exhausted all the time, something like that. Both complaining and bragging are much better than combination of complaint bragging type of humble bragging, which I think, I still find it fascinating how people can see through how insincere it is. <laughs> that's one example. Yeah, that's one example. But uh, we also talked about sometimes we say the wrong thing uh, or we don't say what we're supposed to say because we try to um, regulate either our emotions or other people's emotions. In another uh, work, we have shown uh, how people sometimes hide their success uh, not to make sure not to upset anybody. Like if you're in a sort of socially comparable position, it's like imagine you're waiting for a promotion at your workplace and your great friend at workplace can also be considered for that promotion. And if you get that promotion, you know, do you go to them and exactly share with them? Or do you sort of avoid the topic to make sure that you uh, maintain your relationship intact? Uh, and we looked at this phenomenon, which is this hiding success. And we found out that uh, even though people hide, set, uh, hide, hide their uh, success with the best uh, intentions, with the benevolent intentions of not upsetting anyone and make sure no one gets jealous or angry or upset. <laughs> what happens is uh, from the recipient's side, it's much more insulting and offensive because people think, oh my goodness, you don't share it with me because you don't think I'm going to be happy for you. That's so offensive. So people, people actually get offended by it. Another example of um, when we say the wrong thing because it makes us feel good, when people say, I told you so. That's another uh, paper we're working on right now. Um, you know, people know that the other side doesn't want to hear the phrase, I told you so. Uh, yet, when they have the opportunity, they say it because it just makes them feel good. There is this tremendous, powerful feeling of, uh, uh, tremendously powerful feeling of being right. We all love being right. And it feels especially good when there's someone in the room who was wrong. So, so <laughs> these, these things happen uh, because of multiple reasons, and it's just fascinating. Hmm. That's funny. Yeah. I think about it like there's a lose-lose if you attempt to, like you're not fooling anybody really in this existence is one of my themes in life. So <laughs> the attempt to put like a buffer of I'm above this and I'm here 
nobody's going to see these two layers. They're just going to see this whole planned effort of you're trying to put yourself in this huge position through your wording. Yeah. And then they see it a hundred times from a hundred different people on LinkedIn or wherever. And it doesn't have that impact. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And of course, you know, one it's of like the, it. one of the other, other reasons why I'm so excited to study these things is that right now we live in a, such an interesting world when we are, you know, this is a place where we are broadcasting all the time. Uh, I don't know if it was the pandemic maybe added to it, like you became more online, I, I feel. Uh, but obviously these social media platforms existed and so many of them. And uh, it almost feels like we have to have some space there. And it almost feels like we have to share our uh, story. And how to do that is a whole different question. Uh, because it also influences our uh, in-person interactions at work right now when we, you know, when we put something on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I'm so excited, I'm so honored, I'm so humbled to be da-da-da-da. <laughs> now the next day people see that, even, even other departments, not just your current co-workers, but even other departments in your organization um, may see that. And it's a, it's a whole, different, whole different world. Uh, so I find these opportunities to study social cognition, social perception, and self-presentation, so, so exciting. It's a, it's a tricky world, it's a tough world out there. I'm, I'm still not sure what's the best way to make the best impression. Would you say there's something to the idea of going on one side, whether it's like being fully direct and yourself at all times, and people know, okay, that's 100%, or being a full like press reporter where it's always like highly curated, but not somewhere in the middle, because the middle gives some of the issues you're describing where the person is like, you're treating me like I'm not intelligent. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, I guess this, this issue of should we always strategize or not? Um, well, honestly, I think there's something so uh, wonderful about authenticity and sincerity that people actually, uh, well, I, I, sh I shouldn't say people see it through. I'm, I wouldn't be able to say that because there is some research uh, by authenticity experts that tells us we are not necessarily so good at telling who's, at, who's authentic or not because it's such an interesting concept, right? We don't even, we may, we may even argue maybe people are not even that self-aware whether they are being authentic or not. That's another, that's another research question right there. Uh, but what I'm trying to say, we, in the research projects and papers that I've worked on so far, when we focus on the perceiver side. So when we ask people about their evaluation of another actor, uh, at least I can say authenticity and sincerity are very, very important. These are very, very, like how sincere someone seems, how authentic, genuine, uh, not fake, very real, how, like getting to that perception is very important for the impression that you make. So uh, if you are authentic, I don't know if you would come across as authentic or not, but if you come across as authentic, that's definitely one of the key ingredients of making a good impression. So I know we sort of dissected all of the <laughs> different ingredients there in that equation. The, the, the other thing about strategizing, I wouldn't say strategizing uh, necessarily. I'm, I'm a huge fan of also, you know, if you're genuine, if you can celebrate joy together uh, and share, share our accomplishments together. Uh, that will be the wonderful world. In fact, you know, in our hiding success paper, uh, you know, if, if we ask people, do you want to be in an organization where everyone hides their success from each other? I guess we would say no, right? I would love to celebrate my colleagues and my coworkers and also share with them. Um, so I would say strategize, but I would say 
we should be careful about uh, what kind of pride we are um, uh, sharing. Uh, if if it's uh, you know pride researchers, this emotion of pride, it's a very self-conscious emotion. Such a fascinating emotion, right? Um, and I, I also love self-conscious emotions like guilt, uh, pride. Like it's, it's just, there's something so deep about them. We just reflect on shame. Well, yeah, shame exactly. We reflect on uh, ourselves and we feel something that's very deep and profound uh, about human nature. Uh, but you know, there's two types of pride. One is authentic pride. One is the hubristic pride. You know, hubristic pride is all about oh, I'm doing this because I'm. I'm the best. I got it, and I'm better than everybody else. Uh, whereas I got it, and I'm better than everybody else. Just letting you know. <laughs> that's that's the motto. That's just my my one sentence summary of this emotion. Uh, and then the authentic pride is, of course, you know, I got here because I worked so hard, or you know, I got here because we worked so hard as a team. Uh, you know, these th- these two statements sound so different, feel so different. And the audience of these uh, statements uh, can distinguish them very easily. Uh, so I wouldn't say we should strategize, but we should be very careful about not coming across as hubristic or, you know, I'm better than you type of attitude. Because, you know, status or accomplishment is not a zero-sum game, even though uh, sometimes we think it is. It's not. It's not. You know, it's, it should be a great thing if someone succeeds at something and they share it uh, and... And we celebrate it, but but it's it's a it's a hard balance to achieve for sure. It seems noticeable that one of the key differences there is one of them is I got here that's just the way it is, and it's not you're not able to get there. We are different. You're out of that ability. Whereas the other one is like we're all on Earth, and it's a process, and you could do it, I could do it. We're all from the same. Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and <laughs> yeah, and also you know, uh, one one thing that I really like about you know there was the uh, Emmy, Emmys award, right? So, uh, I, I don't know, right? Very recent, was award, like, yeah. Or, or yeah, I don't know when uh, our interview will be uh, ready to go, but at least you know, sometime. Weekend. But like I always watch these uh, award shows. Number one because I like them. Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, interesting to watch. But I'm also very. Well, this is the award for being on the 365th episode of the Year Award of the <laughs> Thank you so much. I would like to thank. <laughs> thank you so much, Armin. I'm, I'm really so happy to be here. It's always so. And by the way, also shout outs to at the same time while awards are being given, Evel and her recent placement at Cornell. And boom, yeah, thank you. Me. Thank you so much. Very excited. That is an actual award. <laughs> Very excited to be uh, here at Cornell as well. So I always watch these, uh, you know, award shows because I'm, I'm very interested in how people celebrate that. It's a huge honor. It's a huge honor. As an artist, you get recognized. It's the biggest TV awards. We have also the Oscars, Tony Awards, like all of the, all sorts of Grammys. You can think of anything. Nobel Prizes. There's so many, so many uh, moments, so many of these moments where people actually get the spotlight. And I'm very interested in how people do that. And and uh, some some speeches in particular uh, really resonate with me, and they are also very you know proud in the moment. The artists who get the award, they share their uh, thank yous, but there's something so genuine about the way that um, they share it. Uh, so that's why that's why I, I think this question of coming across as genuine and really celebrating the joy 
uh, resonates with people. And, and it's also a celebration of some unique contribution, right? I think that's what, what I think sometimes we miss about success and accomplishments. Maybe there is something that uh, this person has and it's unique and they bring it to it. And it's nice to celebrate that. And all of us are good at something else. You know, it doesn't have to, again, it doesn't have to be the zero sum game. At the same time, yeah, you know, when we are in the workplace, when we are in the when we are applying to jobs and stuff like that, of course, it's, it does feel very zero sum because not everybody uh, gets the promotion that they want. Not everybody gets the uh, you know recognition that they want. Um, that's why it 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 puts the person who uh, uh, accomplishes something on a it's it's a it's a predicament. It's a, it's a precarious situation for sure. It's never easy. I have I have some some uh, key things that I usually summarize in my talks or in my classes about. You want to really let others know about your accomplishments, and if you want to brag, what should you do? I have some answers for that, but it's still a it's still a, a tricky balance. <laughs> to do so smoothly. Yeah, yeah. One thing that comes to mind is I've had a few people tell me specifically about those who are very successful. They disappear off into the nothingness and you don't hear from them because, um, I mean, there might be a few dynamics to that, but is there something to the idea that as people reach a high level of success, they disappear into a far off community, distant, they're not on public spaces? Yeah, and, yeah, could, could be, could be, uh, that could be one, one way or something. Or, I mean, it could be both ways, right? One is once, once a person reaches a level of status, or power or accomplishment, maybe they don't need to signal anything anymore. So maybe they really disappear. Uh, number two, maybe even when they share their good news or accomplishments, maybe they don't quote it as bragging anymore because it's much more legitimate, right? If a Nobel Prize winner talks about the recent paper they published, I'm not going to interpret that as bragging, right? I'm going to be like, yeah, they're sharing their uh, findings. Uh, so it can be both ways. And that's kind of the ironic ironic situation about that as well. That's the irony. Um, like when you are in the uh, lower end of the ladder and like a new emerging person in your career, that's the time where you need to let people know about your capabilities and your accomplishments and your successes. But that's also the time uh, where um, anything you say may be interpreted as, oh, this person has this ulterior motive of bragging. Uh, so it can be both. I th maybe sometimes the actors who are in the position of self-presenting themselves disappear, like you said. Uh, that's one hypothesis. But I think the other part is also, it's very hard to, well, I shouldn't say that because there are some, you know, I, should, <laughs> I, should, I was going to say, it's very hard to interpret some, something coming from very high status as bragging because they're already there. You know, we don't. Obviously, there are exceptions to that. Right? Like if someone high status, they may come across as bragging too, but I do think that their position is much more legitimate. This legitimacy is very important as well. That's why uh, when someone else brags for us, that's the best strategy, yeah? because it's so legitimate. It's like there's no ulterior motive there. People just hear about you and you're good. So let's let's make a pact. Let's always brag on behalf of each other, Ireland. <laughs> From now on. <laughs> that's a great point. It's much better when it's, I forgot the words, but it, yeah, it's brought from external versus from you because 
how can it be you? No, it's just outside. People are saying things. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's it's just much more amazing. I also think it's something actually I want to test. It's very curiosity inducing. Right. If someone tells about their success, uh, that's one thing, and you may get curious about that. But if you hear about someone, I think I think the curiosity level is a bit higher. Again, this is this is just a hypothesis that I want to test one day. <laughs> uh, there's something intriguing about that curiosity piece as well. Like we, we want to know more about the person. Oh, okay, let me Google this person. Who is this person? What is this paper? That's the idea. It makes me think of. Like... I give, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I give you. No apologizing. I like that. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks. I just. We want. <laughs> I just love this topic so much that I can just uh, you know talk about this forever. It's uh, I usually, I think our own audience would understand as well. I am giving academic examples, of course. You know, who is this person? What's this paper about? So that's that's my world, of course. But I'm sure they can also find examples in their own work where uh, they get curious about someone because they heard great things about them and Google that person. I think that's very possible. <laughs> passion is a wonderful thing, and I would never limit passion in any form. That's the joy of our existence. <laughs> and you. also that point there, I think it's partially related to when you hear about it elsewhere, then you're also thinking a little bit of how did it get to the point where I'm hearing about it? Like that's not just even regular level. That's like, it's already happening. There's some, like where there's smoke, there's fire kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so true. That's so true. That adds to the, again, this legitimacy of the brag attempt or, you know, you're like, oh, this must be great. So that it's reached even to me. There's this, again, the fire and smoke analogy. Exactly. If I'm hearing about it, other people are hearing about it somewhere. Yeah. What's happening there? Yeah. Hmm. One thing that comes to mind is how does one research these types of items? How do you check on whether someone's success is being hidden well or your various research topics, how do you look into these? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm uh, mainly an experimentalist. Uh, so I, we ran experiments uh, most of the time, either in the lab or in the field, you know, in a park, in a shopping mall, uh, mall or sometimes in a company um, where uh, we look at how people interact with each other. So in the lab case, that would be, uh, you know, I. I would bring people to the lab, they would talk to each other, they wouldn't know exactly what the other side is doing, but they would rate each other, whereas I give, you know, give us specific instructions and then uh, look at their reaction. That's one way. Uh, but there are also, of course, you know, when that's that's actually why, why it's so exciting to be uh, a social scientist in our contemporary world, because there's so many instances where you can access data. For instance, for our hiding success paper, we collected data from uh, doctors when they got their uh, medical school graduates when they got their residency match assignments you know do you do you share it with your friends or not uh, or what what happens if your friend shared it with you or not like imagine my dream school was school a and my friend got into it and they didn't share it but how would that make me feel that would, that would sound terrible right or we ran uh, studies with uh, high school seniors who were uh, getting acceptance letters from colleges uh, and we looked at whether they hide their success or not, like whether they, they shared it with their friends or not. So once they uh, learned about their uh, university college placements. Uh, so it's it's usually, you know, uh, both uh, in, in a, of course, an experimental setting, we are, uh, we have a lot of power in controlling 
what participants say to each other or see when they when they devalue so that gives us a lot of control but it's also super exciting to go out on the field and uh, talk to people or uh, collect data from them in real time when these things actually really happen for them you know for a, for a medical school graduate who's just getting their residency match assignment it's such an exciting time such a salient thing in their mind that you know it's it's, it's been so fascinating to uh, run studies with them during those times so uh, we do all sorts of things. Uh, another another exciting thing about being a social scientist is also you collaborate with people from uh, other uh, areas and uh, people who have uh, expertise in other methodologies, like qualitative, you know, when they actually talk to uh, the participants and sort of find themes in a, in a particular context. So there are so many ways, but my main my main methodology has been uh, experiments, and I'm always fascinated by experiments. I don't, I don't know if this answers your question. I think I gave like methodology the scope. <laughs> the method section. Yeah, yeah method section of a paper. Really, <laughs> stats is coming along. Results is coming along. <laughs> <laughs> this is also <awesome> discussion. It's <laughs> a nice description. Now, slightly adjusting here. You had, uh, I think, I don't know how I found your work originally, but. You had a shared paper with Juliana Schroeder on rituals and the value. And also, she wanted to say hello. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> hello back, Juliana. Yes. <laughs> One day, maybe a panel or something like that. That would be cool. It was a great thing now, to work on. Yeah. That's wonderful. Can you tell us a bit about that as well and the value of rituals? Uh, what can they bring? Yeah, to... yeah, sure, absolutely, absolutely. So we we had a paper um, uh, uh, which was a again, great team of researchers, uh, and uh, we looked at whether uh, workplace or team rituals, group rituals, uh, are helpful because you know we see them all the time. Uh, sports games is one, but even in other places, you may know, have chance. Uh, their specific organization-based ritual, and we wanted to find out whether it really helps with the performance or not. And we found that the answer is yes, uh, because it adds meaning to the task, uh, which is fascinating, right? This this uh, act that you do, whether you know, again, it's a little maybe a little chant, maybe a little move, but things that you compose with your group. Um, and it's, it's a ritual. It has to be ritualistic, of course. That's that's the other thing I need to highlight, right? Like, uh, uh, there's something uh, really magical about the power of rituals, and that's because they are so specific. Right? It has to be maybe synchronized. It has to be uh, at the same time. It has to be very coordinated. So I'm not saying any random thing would help with the task, which is what we test in this paper, actually. We look at whether group rituals versus other group activities help with group performance. And we find that there's something uh, very powerful about rituals. It's because they add meaning to the task, uh, which which is quite quite amazing. Like, uh, I, I wish, I, I realize that I think in the teams that I work with, I realize maybe I should adopt more, um, more uh, team rituals uh, because I worked on another uh, ritual paper again with wonderful co-authors and that was, uh, we had two. One was one was about uh, holiday rituals. Uh, the other was about relationship rituals, a couple of rituals, fascinating topics. 
And uh, what we find is that those rituals also really uh, increase well-being. So holiday rituals are so powerful that when people cannot uh, perform them for some reason, let's say you're away from your family for Christmas or Thanksgiving and maybe you're in another country who doesn't have the same tradition or something like that, it actually really, uh, really is not the best way to spend the holidays. Like the embracing, embracing your rituals wherever you are is a great way to increase uh, holiday, uh, family, ritual, time, well-being. Uh, after working on that paper, I started to celebrate all holidays across all cultures. I just joined, like wherever I am in the world, <laughs> you can find me trying to do something about it. Like I know, for instance, I think Rosh Hashanah is coming, the new year uh, is coming, and I'm definitely going to get some apples and honey just because I know that's a tradition. Like, it just makes me happy. Uh, for couple rituals, we also found that uh, couples who have couple rituals, uh, they are more committed to each other and they are more um, uh, satisfied in their relationship, which also has been a fascinating finding. But one, one amazing thing in that study was, uh, so we, look, we asked both sides of the couple whether they agree that they have a ritual or not. And what we found is that if, if both sides think that they have a ritual, they are very committed and happy, okay? This is our number one. If both sides say, no, we don't have a ritual, they, are, they rate a little less than, than this one, number one group. But the most, most interesting group was that if one side thinks they have a ritual and the other side thinks, no, they don't have a ritual, uh, then that's the, that's the most problematic group, right? So the consensual agreement about whether you view an activity as a ritual or not, uh, really determines uh, whether it would actually lead to uh, more commitment and higher relationship satisfaction. Because imagine one side of the couple sees something as a chore, the other side sees it as a ritual. Like imagine date night is a chore for one side and a date night for the other side. That's of course very sad, right? So that's the idea. So uh, being on agreement on what constitutes the ritual and having all group members, whether it's the couple or your work group, that's also very important that everybody's on board. And when everybody's on board, rituals are incredibly powerful. I highly recommend. I try to, I try to adopt it in my own life as well. <laughs> you made me think of a few things here. One of them, that always makes for hilarious videos when they interview a couple and then immediately after like a few questions, you can see a disconnect <laughs> and then you're like, this isn't going well, this probably doesn't go well. Because they're not on the same page in 10 seconds. Yeah, th those are, those are, uh... I mean, of course, sad, but very awkward too. There is a lot of um, interesting research material or maybe even comedic material too. Like I do stand-up comedy, so I find awkward moments as a huge area of, <laughs> huge area of comedic material. A couple of things. One, that's true, by the way, I want to point out, stand-up comedy, I've done open mic comedy, so we're both on the same page yeah. as far as uh, <laughs> some of that. I don't think it's that common that people do it. We'll come back to that, but uh, before that, I like the idea of rituals. Possibly they're good because they reduce uh, entropy or they look like it so that in our life it looks like there's some order. And also when there's no ritual, let's say you had a ritual in some country and then you went to some other country for a while and it was not happening. There's like an emptiness from what you're used to. Yeah. And that feels like this is not the place. This is not the place. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and your intuition is absolutely right that there is research that shows rituals also increase sense of control. 
which is probably what we need when we are in these moments, both in times of celebration, uh, because they are so orderly, right? Holidays are so, uh, there's things to do on a holiday in every culture, uh, or in times of uh, stress as well. We need to feel uh, in control and rituals are so helpful for that as well. And one thing that comes to mind is everybody knows that about 90% of professors also do comedy. Why is that the case? <laughs> Joke. <laughs> but really? When... Like, I... <laughs> <laughs> I understand, actually. Ask your local, like, the world history. That could, uh, be, could be. And that's not very surprising. Uh, I mean, I guess... So I made that up. I made that up. But, okay, okay. Like, you know... I don't think they do comedy. I think very few professors do comedy. <laughs> what led you to have that quality of yours? <laughs> um... I think lots of things, uh, probably, you know, even uh, maybe being an immigrant in one sense makes one a very keen observer, I would say. And, but that's also related to why I'm even in this profession, why I am a social scientist. But I do think the reason why I wasn't super surprised by the stats you gave me, and I, I was very ready to believe, was that I, I think maybe not, I'm not sure if all professors, but I think in social, across social sciences, it wouldn't surprise me people are uh, attempting to be comedians or they are really doing comedy as a side thing just because you know our actual job is also you know i observe people i look at what i observe i try to observe myself and look at myself and really identify what are some problems what are some things that are interesting weird odd or not the most optimal and uh, comedy is kind of very similar but you look at uh, what's frustrating what's awkward uh, what's so fascinatingly not working <laughs> and and uh, one way to test is to run experiments like develop a, a develop a hypothesis and run an experiment because the other way to test it is to make an observation about it uh, either sarcastic or exaggerated or maybe sometimes just pure truth uh, that nobody's willing to say and, and see people's reaction if you get that laughter that means it's probably true <laughs> your observation is probably true um, so for me, so, so for me, that was that passion that that um, that I I always wanted to try it at some point, and uh, luckily, uh, a few years ago, I gave the chance, and I've been enjoying the adventure of doing comedy ever since. There's something great about telling the truth directly. I would say that quite a a fair amount of the time, telling just the truth and not even thinking too much about it on stage is the funny. Item. It's like, this doesn't happen everywhere. Most of the existence that we see is made up material or curated presentational material. So just the fact that you're saying, hey, this thing is colored silver. Wow, that's hilarious. I mean, there's a truth that somebody said. Exactly, exactly. That's so true. And and hearing that laughter is also such a, a joyful moment for me. Like the, <laughs> it's really equal to finding out your experiment has been working. <laughs> your Your results are telling you something. <laughs> it's on the same page. That's cool. The funny thing is, I made that percent, but then afterwards I was thinking, and I thought of a few individuals that might have some comedic flair. I don't think they've done comedy, but they are professors and they do have some comedic flair. So maybe there is some. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, that. could be. Sometimes you verbalize things into being in some way. It's going to be our self fulfilling prophecy. From now on, after listening to our podcast, all professors will do an open mic. <laughs> I'm gonna go anytime I talk to a person and do a comic. When did you do it? Was it last Wednesday? What location? Yeah, in your in your You're hiding comedy it. club, everyone. They could be hiding their great success. <laughs> in so, that's kind of funny. 
uh, one thing that comes to mind is, are there any people in your uh, path who have been a big chunk of what uh, forked you into the road you're currently in? Is there any figures that come to mind where it's like, if I didn't meet this person, I wouldn't have gone in this direction or been at that location? Yeah, of Anybody course. Specific? Of course. I'm so many, so many. Like I, uh, like there's the there's the people. There's there are scholars whose work influenced you without even meeting them. Like like I would say Goffman, who's the author of he's a sociologist, he's the author of the presentation of self in everyday life. The other amazing book he has written is called The Stigma. So he's this great researcher from the, the past. Like he's this book was published in nineteen fifty nine and I always refer to his work and cite it. Weeks ago. Uh, that's <laughs> that's definitely like one name. That's very specific about my research interest, but also as a as a scholar, I've been super lucky uh, and grateful to come across as many people who have inspired me along the way. Um, uh, Max Bazerman was my PhD advisor. Mike Norton was my PhD advisor. It was great to work with them uh, and learn from them. And we also worked on these papers together. I've been very lucky to work with uh, them and. Yeah, that, that's like some names. I, the the first the first uh, experimental class that I took back in the day was taught by uh, the economist Al Roth. He's also another wonderful human being and professor. Uh, but, but so many. I mean, these are just my uh, PhD scholars. But I've been spending you know last year I spent some time at uh, Columbia University as a visiting uh, professor there. Uh, you know, amazing people like Adam Galinsky, Modipe Akinola. Uh, Daniel Ames, Joel Rockner, like there are so many, Malia Mace, they're, they're all so amazing. And of course, my colleagues here at uh, Cornell, uh, like Tony Simons, Tom Gilovich, uh, they're just, it's so many names, so many names. I, I feel like, now I feel, I feel the pressure of the Emmy Award winner who's going who's gonna to forget that one person they should thank. <laughs> you know, there are just so many, uh, so many scholars. And, and that's the that's the other wonderful thing about uh, being in this field. Um, you know, there are there are so many things to say about academia. Maybe one one thing to say is that you really learn from other scholars, and if they support you, if they inspire you. That's been wonderful. And of course, my peers too. I should say, you know, uh, we talked about the, some of my co-authors here. It's been also, like all these papers that I I work with. You know, Juliana Schroeder, Tammy Kim. Emma Levine, Annabelle Roberts, some of the papers that I mentioned. Uh, again, Mike Norton, Francesca Junior. I'm just trying to cite all my papers and my co-authors as well. I've been super uh, grateful for all of that. And uh, scholars inspire you in many different ways. They inspire you to go after what you want to study, what's really fascinating to you. They inspire you to really be authentic. So, you know, when you're real and when you really bring your unique sides to your job, uh, they also inspire you to help others. I think uh, both from all of these names that I listed and also uh, some other names that I couldn't list, unfortunately, here. What I'm learning is really to pay it forward. And what I hope is that I'm also as helpful and inspiring to my uh, peers and my students in the future, I hope. That's my, that's my goal. Sorry, that was a long answer, but it's really so hard to... I also would like to thank my mom and dad. <laughs> now that this is like an Emmy Award. <laughs> Yeah. So one, I want to say, the first thing that came to my mind is I don't think I've heard kind of like an Emmy Awards type of speech 
the same way like for I research i would listen to it way more than i know thank you you've been so kind you didn't even interrupt me and i know i did a long thing but even now you know i'm thinking of some names and i should thank them too like i don't know like allison with brooks we have been working together it's like it's just so great like ting zhang was my uh phd body she's great like <laughs> there are just so many people i should thank who inspired me who have taught me something i would watch that award show and then I might look up some people from the if, if, if award shows like that. I just realized yeah. I'd watch. Yeah. It. Yeah. your mom, your dad. Right. <laughs> That's a nice thing to thank the people along the way. <laughs> My last question to you will be related to what you just mentioned. What's one quality you got from your mom that you use today, and one quality you got from your dad that you use? Oh. What a great question. Oh my goodness. Let me. I only have a good one. The, the other ones are for a future one. Which me... It will hopefully go on in the future. Okay. So, what I got from my mom. So, I think my mom is really uh, a very hardworking person. And I think I'm a very hardworking person too. Uh, I... I've got a hardworking person here. Yeah. I really, I really, you know, I, I really care and try to. <laughs> uh... The passion yeah. shows. The passion, exactly. Try to try to push things as much as I can. Although you know, it's it's funny because you know there are so many emails sitting on, on my inbox, and there are things that I need to do. So my co-authors would be like, "Okay, let's you know let's get this done then." But I really I really try. Like I'm a very conscientious person. I'm really grateful for that, and I think that's coming from my mom. She's like really that way. Very responsible individual who get things done. Conscientious. Yeah. I mean, I may be late or, you know, I'm not saying I'm not procrastinating ever, but, you know, you still get it. You still do it. Like, if you, if there's a task to be done, I got it. <laughs> it's under the umbrella of your mission. Cool. <laughs> exactly. And from my dad, I think he he's more the funny one in our in our household. And I think that's coming from his his love for observing observing people. You know, one of my favorite things to do, you know, usually people don't like when they are kids, I'm not sure if people like going to weddings or not. Like, I always loved going to weddings or like family get-togethers because it was so nice to observe and uh, reflect uh, with my with my dad. So I think I'm getting this sort of more observational and communicational side from my dad, and hopefully the jokes too. <laughs> so I I try I'll tell them that, and let's see if they agree. They'll be very happy that, that I'm talking about them in this one, you know. And thank you so much for giving me this opportunity because, you know, I'm also very grateful for my parents and it's so nice to uh, celebrate them <laughs> with, with audience. They are that base. Without them, we just, we don't have our element. I know, I know. It's also a very interesting thing to witness how their progress, you know, how they also get older and you're like, oh my God. They have done all of these things for me, all of these sacrifices for me. That's amazing. I only understand that, I think, as, as an adult. <laughs> long live the human nature and how it's functioned yeah. for so long. Yeah. So, I mean, for sure. It's something cool. Neville, I would like to thank you for having been on this episode of the show, discussing a bit about your research, letting us know a bit about writing success, rituals, and also impression mismanagement. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, I hope that, and thanks a lot to whoever is listening to us right now. Thanks a lot for all their time. 
I hope I hope uh, we learned about research and we have some practical steps to adopt in our daily life as well. Great, glad to have you on.